Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by legendary trainer Teddy Atlas, and we have got an action-packed show today. Lots to discuss, starting with Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin, Teddy. Watch that first step. It's a woozy. I believe that's what you said. Talk to me about the fight. It was a woozy, wasn't it, Ken? Yep. Um, it sure was. And I did say that, you know, because there was a warning necessary when you're fighting a former world champion at heavyweight where anything can happen. And we know that Perfecto could punch. And we know that Dillian White is still a little wet behind the ears. Full disclosure is always on this show. I did, as many people did, pick White to win. I thought he'd be too big, too young. Um, with Pavekin being basically 41. He's got a birthday coming up, I think, in just a, a little while. So I, you know, not not shocking. I mean, the, the ending was shocking and so sudden. It was like listening to, you know, your radio and somebody pulls the plug out. You know, I mean, it was no warning. It, was, it wasn't like the volume was diminishing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you say something, I'm not going to hear this soon. It was just, eh, silence, deafening. And, um, but that's what happens and can always happen. Obviously, most people out there are going to say in the heavyweight division or actually in boxing, period, that's the allure of the sport to many, that there's all of a sudden the unexpected, the theater of the unexpected can be there in your living room. But it's also what happens, Ken, when you got a guy who only had seven amateur fights, extraordinary what Dillian White's done. You know, he did have kickboxing matches, yes. But he had seven amateur fights. He's fighting guys in this, in this particular case. It's not me just, you know, just out there strolling and saying, well, you know, there's guys in this business. When you've got only seven amateur fights, you're fighting guys with 100, with 150. With two. It's true. In this case, yeah, it's really true. Pavetkin, who I trained, who we won a world title with, he had 200 amateur fights. He was a gold medalist from the Olympics. I was there. I caught his fights in the Olympics for NBC. I caught four Olympics for NBC. So here's a guy with seven amateur fights fighting a guy with 200, over 200 amateur fights. And the, the funny similarity with Pavetkin and, and with White is Pavetkin also was a terrific kickboxer. He was a kickboxing champion when he was a young kid. So... And he had all those amateur fights and won the gold medal in the Olympics. So that's hard to make up for. You had Michael Grant, terrific athlete, tremendous, good kid too, good person. And he got all the way, he beat some good fighters. You know, Andrew Galata, he, he who was a, you know, a nut job and, <laughs> and you know, was, came up short up here. But Galata was a terrific amateur Terrific pro, fought for the world title, could have won the world title, but he self-sabotaged himself. Uh, that's why I always say this is a mental business. Self-sabotaged himself against Riddick Bolt when he was winning and beating Bolt. 
twice. But here, and Michael Grant couldn't quite, of course, he had a tough heavyweight champ to beat. He had Lennox Lewis, but he couldn't get over the hump. He couldn't, and, and he was another kid only had probably 12 amateur fights. So it was pretty extraordinary. And again, that's where the difficulty comes in replacing that experience or making up for that lack of experience because it covers so many dimensions, Ken. People don't realize it covers so confidence, instincts. You know, it's like a guy who's been at war and you got another kid who's coming out of military camp and he's going to war for the first time. And he understands the basics because he's been in camp. But he doesn't understand all the consequences. He he hasn't had that the feel for war. You know, he hasn't experienced that the 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 reality of the war that you can't let up your guard for a second. And he let up his guard for a second. And and listen, it can happen and it has happened, but usually. Guys with the kind of experience I'm talking about, they don't get caught that kind of punch at any point when they're ahead, whatever. They don't get caught that kind of clean punch because it's it's a punch that their experience that I'm talking about doesn't allow them to get caught. Their fear, their nervousness. Dillian White was part of it this was really, really could be in the dictionary for the definition of being overconfident, if you want, at that point for assuming, taking for granted, because he had dropped Pavekin twice earlier. And and again, before I go any further, I'm going to say again, Dean White, hats off to you. Extraordinary that you've done what you've done in your career and beaten some good fighters. But what I'm saying is there's no getting around this that you didn't quite have what you thought you had. Where a guy who's been to war, who's had those kind of, what I'm talking about, doesn't let up. I'm not knocking him, but doesn't let up for that split second. Yeah, again, this is the poster child for being in a position to take something for granted overconfident after he dropped in the fourth round he dropped Pavekin and now the fifth round early in the round he gets caught where just it's like if you're a lion tamer it's the business you're in you're you're working in a zoo and you feed the leopards you can't go in that cage and I watch them I go there with my grandson and you see them they go in there they know what they're doing they go in there to feed them but they're they know where they are and and not for a split second, not for a split freaking second, can they loosen their their attention? Can they let go of their friend? What's their friend? Fear. See, people don't like to talk about that. Oh, fear. Come on, we're fighters. No, no. You better you better understand it. You better understand it. Yeah, we work to make guys calm. I work my backside off to get a guy calm. Can you wouldn't camp with me where you can see everything, but never relaxed. Never to the point where you're calm, you see everything, under control, in an uncalm place, 
in a dangerous place, but never relaxed. Hey guys, want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, Crossrope. We've talked about these guys before. I love this product. Check them out at crossrope.com slash atlas, A-T-L-A-S, for $40 off your first order, free shipping. Um, obviously, with the COVID situation, gym workouts are hard to come by. Uh, cardio machines aren't exactly motivating. And gym equipment, home gym equipment, if you can even find it, the prices add up very quickly. Um, I've found this to be a very cool, different way to get a good workout in using the cross rope. Personally, I typically would do a run or a bike ride first thing in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I usually do my strength workout. But what I've been doing with the cross rope is adding in uh, 15 to 30 minutes of cross rope workouts using their app, which essentially walks you through a jump rope workout using the different weighted uh, ropes that they provide in the uh, get fit package. Uh, has been a super effective way for me to balance strength and cardio. Um, can't say enough good things about these guys. I've been using this thing since the uh, pandemic started. It's easy to travel with, so you can take it with you anywhere you go. And like I said, you link up with the app and it walks you through the workout. 15, 30 minutes, high intensity. You can do anything from a, a low impact cardio workout with the lightweight rope or a strength work with the heavier rope. Once again, check them out at crossrope.com, promo code slash Atlas, A-T-L-A-S. Click the Get Deals button at the top of the page for up to $40 off your first order plus free shipping. How much do you credit Povetkin for the slick punch versus saying Dillian got a little bit too relaxed there? Like, what, what, no, all it of it. It's all, it's all part of it. Yes, all part of it. Listen, also happens. Technique is part of it. Dean, Povetkin shouldn't have been that close. I'm being very careful here because I'll tell you, you know, it's not a, um, when you are at this, it has to be. He shouldn't have been that close. Dean hasn't developed enough. He's extraordinary in a lot of ways, what I'd said, but he hasn't developed enough. And I don't think he realizes it. I think he just shrugs it off. I'm, Made a mistake. Well, we know that, but why? Why? How? He he hasn't he hasn't developed an identity yet, and 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 he probably have trouble at this point, maybe digesting that. But where identity is identity you're not Jake Lamotta one minute and Ali the next it's ingrained it's like it's consistent it's what it's it's you it's your identity you're not gonna go out and be uh you know Tom Cruise uh <laughs> later I don't think so you're, you're Ken Ryder right out you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna do that I mean it's your identity it's got to be consistent he hasn't really formed his identity where at his size he needs to be set on his feet at all times and control real estate he needs to be the king of his kingdom his kingdom is in front of him and he has to be the lord of everything in front of him he has to have a line that people don't cross if they don't cross He's in a tower, and they don't get past that. That he he makes sure that they don't cross that line. 
And if they do, he has to know how to react. Like, like a guy coming up the hill, you're in a war. And a guy, he does get past the towers somehow or gets in close. What do you do? You, you stand there drawing. He's near your tower now. He, he has infiltrated space that shouldn't be infiltrated. You go to DEFCOM 3. This has to be taught. Immediately, he's, he's down near you. He can chuck a grenade in. So now it's not a matter of, now it's DEFCOM 3. Get out of the tower. <laughs> Get out of the tower. Once Pavetkin infiltrated that space, he shouldn't have, but he did. Once he infiltrated that space, get your head off. Get out of the tower. Don't throw back. Get out of the tower. Those little nuances, they got to be taught. They got to be experienced. They got, this kid hasn't had that. He hasn't had that. I don't think he realizes it, to be quite honest, to, to that extent. Because he, he trusts his instincts. He trusts his natural abilities, what he's been through in life. I agree with him. You've done an extraordinary job, but there's still more to this business that hasn't been touched on. You understand? You're with me? I'm with you. It hasn't been touched on. And again, your identity, where you're always set, where you're keeping a guy in front of you, not letting him get... I, you have to work on that, those habits. The habits, yes, the experience and heart of Pavetkin saved him. I give him credit. But also his technique, his habits, pulled us out of the fire for him. And the lack of certain habits that I'm touching on allowed the door to open the lack of it on white side. That's what happened. You have to look at these things. That's what happened. You don't, you don't see these top, you'll never see some of these top guys get caught that kind of punch. They get caught, they get broken down. Sometimes it's a collection of punches, you know, it's a barrage, it's, they get worn down. To get time to clean, but that kind of position, you rarely see that. Like you're like, I'm going to go to a different level. I get it, different stratosphere and a different weight class. But you take one of the greats for me in our time, modern era was Sugar Ray Leonard, and when he was Sugar Ray Leonard, you one of the things that made him great, even in the Durant fight, his his first loss, he never got hit two in a row, like like. It wasn't about just right, always coming back, right? Like you got hit one, boom! He, he never got hit two in a row. Didn't get hit two in a row in the Durant fight, the, the big fight. Uh, you know, that was, that was how these guys are. So what I'm saying is once that jab hit, once he was that close and that jab, that preventing through, once it hit, because it was the jab before the left uppercut, once that jab landed on Sugar Ray Leonard, whoop, it wouldn't have been he timing the right hand back because he was already, he already infiltrated space. You understand? It was DEFCOM 3. So as soon as he got in, he would have, and then the rest would have came. That would have been the instinct, the teaching, the understanding of that. And it wasn't there. And what I'm saying is,
So there's a lot to this business. That's why it's the sweet science. And what Perfectkin's technique, I'm not trying to take credit, but I was, in, I was with him for two years. When, when he, they brought him to me, he had just fought Eddie Chambers on HBO. He was getting hit right hands like they were giving it away in a country fair. And they were concerned because they knew he had to go for bigger. Eddie Fez, Eddie Chambers from Philly, wasn't a puncher. He was a pretty decent guy, solid guy, but not a puncher. And they knew they were going to go up to, there's a guy waiting for him named Flinchko. He could punch. So they knew that they had to correct this. So they brought him to me. And the first thing I worked on is, why are you getting hit with these punches? Do you have to understand this? We have to correct this. Part of it was he was throwing a jab just to throw it because in his mind it was just about being busy like it was in the amateurs, just overwhelm the guy. So it wasn't about throwing at the right time, the right place. It was like every place, every time is right. As long as you're throwing and out throwing. And he got away with it, you know, in three round fights. And, but then I showed him, you can't throw a jab. Sometimes a jab is the worst thing you can do. You expose yourself. You can only throw it when the guy's not set to throw right hand, when you got the right position, the right distance to throw it, where you're safe. Maybe you got to go over here to throw it. But you have to know what you're doing with that. And same thing with just throwing punches and bunches. He was doing that, but he was just throwing. He wasn't throwing for the right reason at the right time. He was just throwing punches. And he had to learn all these things. I remember when Tim Bradley, his wife, they called me up and um, they had just fought Vargas. Timmy was a you know, terrific champion and, and he had just barely survived against Vargas. And, you know, a few fights before that, of course, he took a lot of punishment from Povetkin, not Povetkin, um, Provodnikov, Russian t- tough guy, and um, which was extraordinary that... Bradley was able to survive that and spoke to some of his great, you know, constitution and makeup. But he had just fought Vargas and Vargas in the last round caught him a right hand and, you know, he barely survived. Yeah. And so when I took the responsibility to train, the first thing I said was, do you, I remember saying, make an analogy. Do you believe in religion? He did. And in the Catholic religion, there's two kinds of sins. Menial sins, which, you know, uh, not that they're harmless, but they're smaller, or mortal sins. Mortal sins get you with the big red guy. (laughs) With these things. Yeah. You know? And you don't want to do a mortal sin. And boxing are the things I'm talking about, where you don't recover. Boom, it's over. You pay the ultimate. Menial sins are, they don't do that kind of damage. And the first thing I said is, we got to correct the mortal sins. But you got to know what they are. Every fight you're getting caught clean. You, you shouldn't get caught clean. Not that kind of clean. Not every, you shouldn't. You, you could do something about it. You're not aware of it. You got to learn. You got to be aware of it. Got to understand what it is. 
And in that fight, what it was, he didn't realize until I showed it, was that Vargas had set him up. He had bet low as Timmy threw the jab. So Timmy didn't follow him. Timmy just kept looking here. And, you know, he didn't think nothing of it. He went low. He figured he wasn't a danger. But he was a danger. He was there in punching space low. So when he threw, he came up high, bang! He never saw the punch. Just like... White never saw the punch. So the thing I taught him was, everyone, oh, what do you do? You counter it, you come right back? No. The thing you do is once the guy, we don't want him to get there, but he got there. Once he's there, get out. He's down low. He might throw a grenade. Get out. Get out. And so if a guy got low, I would tell him, we'll take care of the rest later. <laughs> With Dean White. I had watched some film on him. And the one thing, there's a lot of things you could talk about with a guy on seven. And again, extraordinary character that he got to this point. But the one thing that I would have said to him, you're always getting hit clean. Like he, he got dropped in the Rivas fight, the fight before. He got dropped in, well, I don't know, did he get dropped or just hurt? Uh, he got hurt in the, uh, in the Parker fight. He got hurt in a, like all the fights, you know, for the most part, at this level, he was getting, before the night was over, he was getting caught clean. Shouldn't happen. I know you say, ah, it's boxing. No. Shouldn't get caught that kind of punch. There's a reason. And and they, well, I'm sure the attitude was a fighter's attitude. You know, we're corrected. Did you really correct it? We're corrected. It won't happen next time. I'll be more alert. Or whatever. But you can't be more alert if you're not aware of where and why it's happening. You know? So you're a tightrope walker. You're walking a thousand feet above the ground. You can't afford not to be alert. Again, I'm going backwards. You have to have every element that you need. That's part of the teaching too. It's not just X's and O's. To tell the guy, you got... You, you bring the fear, nervousness, awareness, alertness, controlled, not overwhelming, but controlled, but have it there when you're walking on that tightrope. Be ready for a gust of wind. Be, be alert, be aware. Every second counts on it. You don't just for a second so. No. No. So... He had been, he had gotten the warning signs, but he didn't, it's hard, but he didn't correct the warning. He didn't pay heed to the warning signs. Just, hey, <clears throat> I'm a guy, I'm still a work in progress to a certain point, whatever. And, you know, I just shrug it off and no, 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 it'll happen again. You have to understand what we're talking about here. You do. When he got hit with that punch, it reminded me of what you always say. And, and most recently, with regards to um, Nonito Donaire and uh, Inouye, you said, when an old, with an older veteran, former champ, you can never count him out. You can never assume that he doesn't have one good fight left in him. And to that point, even one good round, or in this case, one good punch, because it looked like Dillian was boxing his ears in. He had him flopping all over the ring in the fourth, and then in the fifth, he, that was such a beautifully executed punch and just shut the lights off. 
But again, the identity. Mm-hmm. He never should have been there. Oh, uh, no, no, oh, uh, no, not in this business. And that's why when you wouldn't camp with me, yep. you know, people say, oh, Teddy's too harsh. I've, I've heard, of, you know, I've heard most of it. Oh, if Teddy's anyone too- thinks that you're too harsh and if, if they've never been in camp with you, they have no idea how harsh it can be. There was no wasted movements in anything, nothing, not one second of like, lackadaisical training nothing was you can't be lackadaisical there's too much on the line yep you know people say oh uh one guy that i helped become a world champion i won't talk about or mention him but you know uh what did he say i want to be accurate he said he had said that uh oh teddy's like a sergeant in the army he's like an army commando yeah i am you idiot I mean, this business is unforgiving. Yeah, there's too much at stake. It's a se- oh, Teddy's so serious. It's a serious. It's a serious business. It's a serious business. If you don't know, and you know, I'd be in camp. You were there. A guy, Alex, would throw uh, something, and the the guy would be over, here, and he didn't get hit. Nothing, and I'd stop it. I get in the ring. Stop! He didn't get hit, but you will. You you took for granted that the guy was here, and he didn't throw back the left hook or whatever. You should have immediately. You you should have felt it. You you knew where he was. That he wasn't there no more. So he's here. You you should have felt it. Uh, you know, I'm sure some of the people in the gym were like, "This guy's nuts." <laughs> he didn't even get hit a punch. And look what he's doing. Look well, what maybe he's he doing. didn't get hit by the sparring partner, but, but the guys he's he prepared will. for might do. And listen, people that are trying to take a shot and say, <coughs> you know, we lost to better BF. He never got hit a blind punch with better BF. He was ready for everything. He knew what it to be ready for. He got broken down. We got broken down. That's part of my responsibility too. My fault. But, you know, when, again, but I'll tell you one thing. We had the same scenario when we won the world title with Vosik against Stevenson, maybe the best puncher in boxing, if not behind Wilder as the second best, but a better boxer than Wilder. And he... He had to be prepared for that one split moment of relaxing that it never happened. And he fought 12, 11 rounds. He stopped him 11. And it did happen once in the 10th. And he almost got knocked out. But he survived it. But it was that kind of fight that there couldn't be a split second that you weren't in control of everything and aware of location. Everything! where your guy was and what happened in this fight. I remember telling perfect a million times teaching him that after your champ, at the very least, you move your head so you don't get counted because he was getting hit right hands. So you, you move your head and if the guy, and sometimes you can force a guy to do things, you hit him with the jab, you move, he's going to respond with the right hand sometimes. But the main thing is 
Just a habit. And it was there. You jab, you move your head so you don't stand stationary. So you don't, so you don't get hit. You move your head so you don't get hit with right hand. So what did he do? He, he knew he had to take control after being dropped twice. He came in. He got in. He had to be in a certain position. He got into that position. And the warning sign, as much as he was winning the battles, maybe he was getting ready to lose the war. White, again, very hard to, to look at. I get it. I get it. Because I was thinking when I was watching it, Ken, I, I was shocked with the suddenly, but I wasn't shocked beyond that. I wasn't. You know why? I was watching a fight and I was saying, I text, I tweeted it. So I'm not just talking. I tweeted it. I said, <laughs> he's getting in too close, too easy. He's getting into, into White's body. I didn't care about the body. I, I cared about the position. A guy with short arms and who could punch you, who was a former world champion, who's fighting a tall guy, shouldn't be getting in there. He shouldn't get in there that easy. He shouldn't be getting allowed. It's like walking in the White House. I want to see the press. <laughs> you, you walk in, out am doing pretty good. And you just keep walking down the hallway. You shouldn't get that far. <laughs> you know? So he was getting in there. It's like sooner or later, something's going to not be good. Something's not going to be good. I was thinking that. So he got in. He got in. He hit a jab. And he did what he was taught. He moved his head because that's what you do. To not get counted. And you're in position. If the guy throws the right hand, you're in position to hit him with a counter. And I remember teaching him in the gym, you know, the, the more traditional, you go, uh, boom, you hit him with a left hook. But I said, sometimes go over there and give it the same look as the, it's going to be the left hook. But you have the option to throw in the uppercut because most guys don't do that. They usually throw the left hook. The uppercut is less frequently used, but it could be very, very effective because the guy's not expecting it from that angle. And if you look at the eyes of White, again, when he got in there, he was just looking at his own business. No, no, different business now, Ken. Different yep. business, baby. It's changed. He got in. Different business! Those things are... Again, no 200 amateurs. I, I'm just saying, but you got to be taught to, aware, understand that. And so when all you saw, if you saw White's eyes, he wasn't thinking about what was over there. He should have been. He was just, just thinking about coming right back. Once the guy infiltrated that danger area, that area X, let's call it area X, once he penetrated Area X, you can't just throw back. He's in Area X. <laughs> that's where the instinct, that's where that teaching, that's got to be there so you don't get hit. And that's where those guys don't get hit those kind of punches. That's why. And because once he's in there, once he's there, you don't just throw back. No, he's in there. And if you saw the eyes, they were just, and it was just like, like, and I'm sure that, again, he let up a little because he had knocked them down. So there was a little assumption, no assumption in this business, no taken for granted. No, that's your enemy. That's your enemy. That's your enemy. That's your enemy. 
There's none of that allowed. That's why I'm a maniac in the gym. You can't have that. Those are habits too. It's not just a habit. So you jab, rotate it clockwise, have your chin into your shoulder, cover real fast. <laughs> no, it's not just those habits. It's these habits. They weren't taught. They weren't brought out. That's what I'm talking about. What did you think about when White had him down the two times? He was very nonchalant after he knocked him down and looked like he was really taking his time. Do you think he should have maybe jumped on him a little bit more? It, was, it seemed like he was conscious not to do that. I'm not going to be a Monday morning quarterback. You know that. No, no, but, no, but I, mean, I, say, I want to hear your opinion. But I'm going to say what I would say. So um, without defending myself to those haters out there, I'm going to say because I say it. Because I, I, I say it before the fight too. Cuss and me had a philosophy. Cuss taught me, my mentor, Cuss the model. And now the first thing you could say is, Hey, he was being careful. Stop, Teddy. Don't knock him. He was being careful. Guy's still experienced. He's still wily. Yeah, all right. You want to get away with that? Fine. Fine. You know, he was being careful. He was cautious. The later it goes, the better for him. He's younger. All that stuff. I guess that went out the window, Ken. And so, you know, so you could say that. You could say, well, he was being cautious, you know. And, uh, yeah, first of all, Know what you got in front of you. You got a 40-year-old guy, you got an experienced guy, and you got a dangerous guy. You know what Cus always taught me? You still got to be smart. You still don't want to be reckless. Don't get me wrong. That's your responsibility anyway. But you know what he always told me? Teddy, when you got your guy in there with a dangerous guy, get him out of here! <laughs> That's what he taught me. He said, do it right, do it behind the jab, give him a little fake to make sure he's not looking to sneak a punch while he's hurt because he could be dangerous when he's hurt. Yeah. Get him out of there. That's my philosophy taught by Cuss. You got a dangerous guy, get him out of there. Get him out of there. Get him out of there. You don't want to be in the locker room. Sorry, you didn't get him out of there. You don't want to give him any more chances you got him in an with an advantage to get him out of there get him out of there get him out of there and um instead of him and and it sir it, it played that way because instead white had to um Pavetkin had to control for a minute where he was able to get away with, instead of being kept where he would have been kept at the end of punches hurt he was able to get to where he could do the hurting so at the end of the day, you're not going to get a more um, comprehensive breakdown than that. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I give that kind of breakdown. Maybe subconsciously I want to help the kid if it could help him. It's a tough thing. But I also want to, I want the fans to appreciate as much as possible my job is what goes into this that it you know it's just not about bigger stronger it's not just about chucking punches you know it's not just about that it's about a lot more than that a lot more than that and um again credit you know credit to Pavetkin 
credit to Povetkin uh, for surviving when he had to and then, you know, doing what he had to. And um, winning the title at, you know, winning an interim title at the age of uh, <clears throat> almost 41, basically. You know, pretty damn good. Pretty damn yeah. good. Give him credit for his, his character and, and his everything else that was part of that win that night. And give credit to Dillian White, not making excuses. Uh, you know, yeah, I saw he was wearing a big heavy vest too, wasn't he? <laughs> Bulletproof vest in case any of the snipers that live in Eddie Hearn's house accidentally he was shot wearing him. A, he, was, <laughs> he was wearing a pretty heavy costume, right? Yeah, and you know, probably just as heavy as uh, Wilder's. I yep. would say it looked pretty heavy. I don't know if it was forty-five pounds, but it was—it looked like it was. And um, <laughs> you didn't hear nothing about that, rightfully so. Thank goodness, but you didn't hear nothing about that. Yeah, Dillian White's ready for a rematch. I'm surprised that they had a rematch clause in that thing. But credit to uh, Eddie Hearn, the uh, master showman. I-, I give Eddie Hearn a lot of credit, whether you like him or dislike him. He's the guy's always entertaining, and he's never down. No matter what happens, he's got an answer. When AJ lost to Ruiz, he was like, "Yeah, we're getting a rematch." No matter what Ruiz said about money, Eddie was always confident yeah he's fighting us where we say when we say trust me on that and sure enough he's fighting in saudi arabia for a few extra hey, kenny, dollars but yeah kenny you're right i'm glad you brought that up because again we'll pick something that wouldn't have been picked otherwise really um it's not an accident eddie Hearn was just like a fighter who was brought into the business like a lomachenko you know at an early age by his father you know you know and uh developed to be a champion to be a fighter you know like tiger woods was with his father to be a champion golfer whatever but eddie hearn had his father before him his father made a lot of money in the game of snooker i joke with my brothers and sisters over there in uh across the pond you know, <laughs> I say, look, uh, you guys make bigger fighters. You know, the, your fighters become stars because you you don't have that many things over there. You know, you got you got golf, you got darts. You know, of course, soccer. You know, you don't have basketball, football, baseball, all that stuff. You don't have all that stuff going on. LeBron James and Curry and you know all these different stars. You you just have those things. You have darts. You have soccer. You know. And you have golf, uh, and and you uh, you have snooker, <laughs> snooker, and and Eddie Hearn's father was the king of snooker. He made a lot of money, and he went up against he went up against the cartel. The cartel not in a bad way, like we think cartel drug, but he went up against the kingdom, the kings of boxing promotion: Mickey Duff, Jarvis Astaire, Terry Lawless. Um, uh, I'm leaving one that was for them. Um, I hate to leave one of them out. But anyway, Barrett, Mike Barrett, he went up against the guys that controlled boxing forever over there. And Warren went up against them and became a top promoter and passed it on to his son. Matter of fact, unless I'm inaccurate with this one thing, I'm pretty sure that house was left to him by his father, that beautiful castle yeah. of a house. Um, from was left by his father to him, was given to him, I should say, um, by the father. 
but Eddie, give him credit. Eddie's picked up, you know, what he's been given. A lot of guys are given something. They never do nothing with it. Eddie's continued it and taken it down the road. Um, so give him credit. But, but to my point is he's always ready. Like, like some, you're saying it like, gee, you know, you got to give him credit. He was ready. Damn right he's ready to say the right thing because he was brought up in his business by his father. He was taught to prepare for these moments. Yep. No, he's good. He, he, he seems to be pulling away from the pack in terms of the promoters, at least in my opinion. And, uh, well, listen, we could probably talk for another two hours about all the uh, nuances of this fight, but let us we've got a lot to cover. So let's jump into the uh, co-main on that card, which was um, Katie Taylor and Delphine Pursun in a rematch of their uh, very entertaining fight at the Garden um, last year. Rob and I happened to be at that fight, and it was good. I mean, you've got Katie Taylor, who's very technical, deep amateur pedigree. And then you've got Prasoon, who's like 100% heart and just throws cr crazy volume of punches, but she gets hit a lot in her face. Looked like it. What'd you see in that one? And what are your thoughts? I I see, I look at the story different than everyone else. I'll tell you where the story is for me. First of all, I called Taylor's Olympic gold winning uh, matches in the Olympics in 2012, I believe it was in in London. And she was thought of as the, well, not just thought of as, she probably is the greatest woman's amateur fighter ever. I mean, extraordinary. She was kind of like, almost like a Lomachenko was with the men, but tremendous amateur, won the gold medal, everything. Tremendous star before she ever went pro. And, and now she's putting herself in a position, you know, as a unified world champion, 15, 16 and 0 now, uh, as one of the greatest, you know, I mean, Christy Martin is one of the greatest. Uh, uh, Layla Ali is one of the greatest. I mean, these all, Christy Martin was a pioneer. She really was. She was something else. Um, Ann Wolf was explosive and tremendous to watch. But, I mean, Taylor has put herself in that company. And it's one of the greatest women fighters, you know, ever. And to make the money that she's making, making more money than probably any woman fighter ever did in the history of this sport. So give her all that credit. And she, for me, here's the story, Ken. We know you just delivered Really, the crux of what Pursun is it Pursan or Pursun? Pursun. Of what Pursun, the, the lady from Belgium. Belgian cop. Yeah, I was killed. Boy, the cops are tough over there, let me tell you. <laughs> Hell yeah. They don't play around. And uh, she, I mean, she's a world champion herself and fought for the unified title here. But we we know her style. She's a Jake Lamont of the women's boxing. I mean, she's, you know, she's just a relentless force that never stops coming. I mean, her attitude is that that ring is hers. She's a gladiator. She, she's, an, she's more than just a gladiator. She's a gladiator is enough. But she's a conqueror. 
She comes to conquer. Her attitude is, I don't just come to win. I come to conquer. That area that you're standing in, Ken, you see where you're standing? That's going to be my area. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. And I'm taking it. I'm marching in and I'm taking it. And I'll keep marching till I get it. That's her attitude. And the first fight, this was a rematch from a fight a year ago in Madison Square Garden where they fought. And I gave all the admiration to Taylor. I just did. But all the credit, I should say. Admiration too. But now I'm going to say the part that needs to be said too. She got a gift. Follow the money. She was the star of everything I just said. She got a gift in this sometimes corrupt sport. Yeah, I said it again. You people out there. Corrupt! And uh, she, she got robbed. Pursued. Katie wasn't ready. She thought she was. But until that devil knocks at the door, you don't really ready for that devil. And the devil knocked at her door. She thought she was ready. She watched tape. That, but until you feel it, until that tidal wave of punches, that tidal wave of will, relentless will, touches you. That furnace of desire opens up and tinges your skin with the heat from it. Until that happens. <laughs> You're not ready. You thought you were ready, but you weren't. And Taylor did everything she could for the gallant fight, but she got beat. Here's the story for me. Forget everything else. The story of this fight is this corrupt sport, these corrupt people that are in, got the pencils and they have somebody's future in their hands. They took her night away from her. That night was supposed to be Pursun's night. That was her night. She was never going to have it again, Ken. She was never going to have it again. It was never going to line up. She was never going to be so ready. She was never, and, and have a little advantage over Taylor, not expecting what she was going to get hit with. She completely, that was her night. They took it from her. They ripped it away from her. They, that was, that, this, that's all. That's what this story's about. And they, that was a terrific fight again. Terrific, those women. But I applaud them for everything. They're gallant. They're great. I salute them. But it's not about the other night in, in London in Eddie Hearns' backyard. It's about that night a year ago at Madison Square Garden that pursued unified all the titles, and she should have left that arena with all those titles and went back to Belgium. She worked her whole life, 47 fights. She's 35 years old. That was her night. It was stolen from her. You know what this night was? I'll tell you what this, this is what these corrupt organizations always do. They, they were forced to give a rematch. They were, they were forced to give a rematch because of the public outcry. You know, because of the internet, people saying stuff about what I'm saying. It, that reaction, they do this all the time, Ken. 
every time they do this, they're going to do it again with that fight that I went crazy last week talking about. It's still up, people. Romero and Mariñas? Yeah. You know, they're going to give them a rematch. You know what that is? It's BS. I don't want to curse. It's BS. It's, it's not for the fighter. It's, it's not for the, the victim. You know what it's for? It's for the perpetrators, the perps, yep. the criminals, the criminals, the crooks. You know what it is? It's parole. It's parole for them. It's, 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 a, it's a pardon for them. It's, it's, it's them being able to get parole instead of getting suspended, instead of getting what they should get which is kicked out of their responsible positions where they hurt people instead of being sent to jail. It's, it's parole. It's, it's an alibi. It, it's, a, it, it's, it's getting probation. That's what it is. It's going to court and being able to tell the judge, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jan. I didn't realize that, uh, I didn't realize that I was, doing what I was doing here and I was robbing this guy and you know what they should say is I'm sorry that I got caught but that's what it is but they this is parole for them this is for them this is for the perpetrators the ones that take a noble night's work a courageous night work by a noble two noble warriors and taint it, destroy it, crap all over it. This is robbing, steal. They steal like thieves in the night. They steal the night away from us, from all of us and from them, and from her, and from Pursue. This is them going to court and giving a BS story to the judge and saying, you know, I really... I really didn't mean what I did. I, you know what? I was, I, I, I was, uh, I was, I was a little reckless. I was a little wrong. I didn't realize that, you know, I hit him in the head with the bat five times. I, I didn't. I don't know what happened. I, 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 I don't even. I lost control of myself. I, I, I didn't realize that I, I robbed him. And um, okay, we'll give you parole. This is for. The crooks. This is for them to clear their conscience, to continue, not even clear their conscience. You, you can't clear something that's not there. So it, it's just a matter of them being released instead of being put in handcuffs, being able to do what they do next week. <laughs> next week, do it again. That, this satisfies the customers, the people, the us. We're morons sometimes. Where where it was, oh, they gave him a rematch. What does that mean? That night got stolen. That person will never be in that position ready with everything lined up perfect to do what they did that night again. It was taken from them, stolen from them. The rematch again, all it is, all it really represents, the truth being spoken here, all it really represents, again, is a, a way off a way of furlough, uh, again, uh, just 
a plea bargain. That's what it is. It's a plea bargain. You go to court and you plea bargain. Listen, I, I admit to this, and you know, I'll give them a rematch, and uh, I want all charges dropped. That's what this is. It's a plea bargain. And it's, again, it's for the people, it's for the robbers. It's not for the robbed. It's not for the person that had everything taken away from her. And it won't be for uh, Romero. Uh, Romero had no idea probably that Marina's was as good as he was. And Marina's won that fight. When they force a rematch, he'll be aware. Maybe, maybe Marina's will pull it off. I'm going to lay you two to one. He doesn't. Yeah. Because part of what was going for him won't be there the next time. It was yep. already there. The boat has sailed. And that's the story for this fight for me. And that's why I took it down this road. Yeah, it was uh, two warriors in there. And yeah, once again, Pursun just kept coming. And, and Katie, to her credit, she had the right game plan. More this time. She knew to counter, you know, tie up inside, get out, move to the side, catch her coming in, you know, don't go straight back where the pressure can really mount where you're in the path of the punches and you're getting caught with those punches. Get out of the, get off the track. Train's coming, get off the track. Don't go back on the track. You know, she derailed the train to a certain extent. And, and Pursun is so ferocious with her attack and her relentlessness that she still had moments. But at the end of the day, Taylor, to her credit, was prepared, was ready for the storm that she had already witnessed. She knew she better bring an umbrella this time. Yep. And, and, and she did. She yeah. brought, hell, she brought more than an umbrella. She brought a tent. <laughs> but she knew, she knew the typhoon uh, that she was going into. And she boxed the right way. And she won the fight. There's no doubt about that. Yep. But not the first time. Yep. No, I agree. That's pretty much the way I saw it as well. But the next one I've been excited to talk to you about, and that's uh, Joe Smith Jr. versus later Alvarez. And uh, I think, Joe, for me, Joe Smith showed a lot more dimensions. I mean, I think people view him as like a blue-collar guy. I think he's a union worker, a physical laborer, and he comes to fight. But he looked slick in this fight, and he really boxed uh, Alvarez's ears and took him apart and then eventually stopped him, knocked him through the ropes. Not unlike he, uh, not as bad as he knocked uh, Bernard Hopkins through the ropes and onto the floor below, but uh, a version of that where um, Alvarez goes through the ropes, probably could have got back up, but it looked to me where he's like, okay, I've had enough of this. Let me not get up in time. Um, what'd you see there? Anything unexpected that you saw from um, Joe Smith or exactly what you were looking for? I walked away with this. Joe Smith is now my favorite, one of my favorite fighters. Don't get crazy out there. I know you didn't expect to hear this. He's now one of my favorite fighters in boxing. He's right up there with Lomachenko and Crawford and Spence, you know, and Canelo. I know, Teddy, what are you, what are you doing? What are you, what are you, are you, are you, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Are you and Ken got some kind of party going on after, before you get on the air? You have a pre-air party? 
buddy? <laughs> What's going on? Listen to me. I say it again. He's now one of my favorite fighters in the sport. Not because he's as sophisticated as these guys or as good as these guys or as talented as, as these guys. No. But he's every bit of fighter that a fighter should be when he gets in that ring. He, he is really the definition of what a fighter. Not, not a, I'm not talking about a, you know, a complete package of, uh, whose defense and this and that. And I'm just talking about the simple definition of a fighter, somebody who finds a way to overcome. Even if they're less than the other guy in certain areas, they find a way to overcome. They find a way to compensate. They find a way. This guy, yeah, I know that Lomachenko and these guys are better fighters. I get it, what we call fighters. But they're not, they're not better at, put it this way, they're not better fighters. They're better at fighting. The, where they use the package of things to be used when you develop yourself in those areas. But they're not better fighters. There's kids up there with anybody as a fighter. If you had bet on Smith in his last, like, eight fights, I think he was an underdog in the majority of them, you'd be up a ton of dough. He's beating some big-name guys. Typically, he's the underdog. I think he was the underdog coming into this one. I think a lot of people look for Alvarez to box him uh, right out of the ring, and Joe Smith just came to fight and took it to him all night. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Listen, he epitomizes Ken what the American dream is. And, and as I said, the definition of a fight is someone who overcomes, finds a way. But the dream, to believe in something and just work as hard as you can, harder than everyone else until you get it. That's Joe Smith. That's what I, that's what I see with Joe Smith. I know these other guys work hard too, don't get me, but they have more talent, more of an amateur development behind them, more whatever. And they shouldn't be knocked for that. I applaud them for that. But, I mean, Smith is a guy that you talk blue collar. There's nothing wrong with that. Just, uh, we shouldn't apologize for that. He is a blue collar guy. He's, he's got great condition, very physically strong. And mentally, he has the attitude that I'm going to be tougher than you because I need to be. Because you're probably going to be better than me in some other ways but not in this way. He understands that. So he understands what's available to be used to even the playing field. That's available to everyone. He's, a, he's teaching all our kids out there that you don't have to be the winner of the gene pool. You know what I mean? Inheriting the... You don't have to be the winner of inheriting the greatest gene pool in the world, Ken. <laughs> and you can Good point. still yeah, no, that's a great point. be top. You still can be tremendous. You still can be where these other guys are if you find a way to make up for what you don't have in a way that Joe Smith does, in will, in relentlessness, in desire, in work ethic. You know, toughness is connected to truth. 
and I wrote this down to myself, the truth of what you believe and you're willing to face to do. Smith believes, Smith believes if he faces what he needs to face, he's going to get what he wants. He's going to get respect and victory, one or both. Either way, he wins. He's the guy that I just said that still makes coaches look good and right when they say to kids, desire, will, and hard work can beat pure talent. That's what he is. That's what he is. And he's a reminder of how important and how available those characteristics, those traits are to us when sometimes we forget. We sometimes forget. We, we start to think that, oh, gee, we're not good enough. We don't have those neon talents and abilities that the great ones have. No, there's a lot of neon. Maybe it doesn't glow the same, but there's damn sure is a lot of value to having the traits that Joe Smith has and that he uses. And I tweeted, I've been tweeting a little bit, Ken. And, um, <laughs> I see that. <laughs> you know, I sent them to Rob, my man Rob gets them up there. And I tweeted when this fight started. I tweeted, first of all, you got to understand, I dedicated myself that day, Saturday at night, to watch him box, boxing because some of the fans were feeling like I was abandoning him a little bit because I've been weeping on the UFC so much. And so I said, let me watch all the boxing here, you know? And so I, I did. So I watched the boxing. And I, in some ways, I'm not sorry I did, but in some ways I made a mistake because the UFC had the best fight of the night. Again, again. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah. But again, yeah. but I watched it. I should have been tipped off when to watch it, I had to stay up late and I had to watch it on the app, on ESPN Plus late. When UFC, the executives, the suits, the smart guys at ESPN who run the business over there, when they put the UFC fight on primetime, <laughs> on the network of ESPN instead of the app late at night. Yep. Yep. Should have told me something. I'm a, I'm a slow learner, Ken. I'm a slow <laughs> learner. Should have said, Teddy, there's a reason why they're doing that. Because boxing has been re replaced as the king. Yeah, it's my sport, 45 years, but the, you got to be truthful in the sport and in anything in life, really. And if you want fans to come and listen to us, we better tell the truth. And it's been replaced. And it has. And, and, and the suits know it. And they're smart. And they're, that's why they're suits. And they, they recognize and did what they have to do. They, they, all you needed to know was those ESPN boxing matches late on the app. And the thing that right now is... The ruler of the kingdom, it's it's UFC. It's yep. UFC. Because they put on consistently the better matches. Not because they have more warriors or better fighters, 
Boxing has plenty of great warriors, great fighters. They both do. But UFC puts them together with other great warriors on a regular basis where boxing doesn't. Competitive matches. And so, anyway, I watched the fight. And I saw what I just told you about Smith. And I tweeted. I said, Alvarez is better, but Smith is tougher. We'll see what wins. And Alvarez is more sophisticated, you know, better box, all that. But Smith, at the end, I tweeted back. Smith is tougher and better. (laughs) Because sometimes being tough is better. If the other guy, what we're talking about, might have talent, but doesn't have the belief with that talent, doesn't have the commitment to go to the cliff with that talent, doesn't have those intangibles, doesn't have those things, then tough is better. And tough was better. Tough was better. And he's learning. He's fought for the world title against one of the best light heavyweights out there, Bevel. And he went yep. the distance. Bevel, Bevel. Yep. And he, he went the distance. He even hurt Bevel late in the fight. But yes. so he, he is learning. And his people are doing a good job. And he is getting better. But he doesn't have, again, the development in some of the areas of some of these other guys. But he makes up for it. And and he's become one of my favorites, Ben. He, Kenny's one of my favorites now. Yeah. Because because of that, because of his character, because he reminds us, me, all of us, he reminds us to keep telling our kids, hey, you don't have to be the fastest. Hey, you don't have to jump the highest. Hey, you don't have to be the brainiac in your class. If you work hard enough, if you don't give up, if you believe and you have a dream and you chase and work for that dream, you can be the best too. You can be the best too. And he is, he is a poster child for that message, for that. And I applaud him. I applaud him. And he broke down. You know, he got caught a good right hand with Alvarez. Alvarez knocked out Kovalev with that right yep. hand. He got, he got hurt. But he willed himself past it. He willed himself past it. He said, no, 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 no. That right hand's not enough to deter me from my dream, from my mission, from where I want to be and go. No, 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 no. It's not enough. It's not enough. And he, he broke down. He broke down Alvarez. And um, he's earned the right to again fight for a world title, to once again. And you can never count out a guy. I know he'll be in, whoever he's in there with the guy will probably be more sophisticated, more experienced from the amateurs, you know, a little cuter, a little maybe slicker, obviously, um, a little bit more developed in some of those areas, but he won't be tougher. (laughs) No, definitely not. He won't be tougher. He won't be, I know better be if it's as tough as they come. And, and he also had all that amateur experience behind him. Boy, what a match that would be. Oh, my God. Those oh, two guys. My God. Could, could you imagine? But You better uh, have EMTs on standby. Oh, 
But I'm just saying, uh, there's no, you know, I, I want to give him a fight name. Can I give him a fight name on IA? Can I give him a nickname? Sure. Joe, because they always got these names, right? Right, Ken? You know, right? You know, uh, Joe the Predator. The, the, <laughs> you know, all that stuff, right? Uh, how about Joe No Free Lunch Smith? <laughs> I like it. I like right. it. I like it. Because that's the one thing when you're in there with Joe Smith. You ain't getting a free lunch. You're not getting a free, nothing free. You're going to earn every bit of it. Hey, guys, once again, let me give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, CrossRope. Check them out at CrossRope.com slash Atlas, A-T-L-A-S, for up to $40 off your for first order, plus free shipping on the Get Fit Bundle. Um, again, I've been using this thing in the afternoon three or four days a week. I try to squeeze it in between my kid responsive, children responsibility, work, podcast, we're all squeezed for time these days during the COVID sitch. We're all at home. This is a nice way to break up the day. I just, you know, even when I'm feeling uh, run down and tired, I force myself to get into it using their app. And as soon as I get cracking, like a few minutes into it, when I'm not feeling motivated and I feel energized when I'm done. So please check them out. Crossrope.com slash Atlas, A-T-L-A-S for up to $40 off your order with free shipping on the Get Fit bundle. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Nothing free. You're going to earn every bit of it. He would actually be an interesting guy for us to speak to. He's got an awesome backstory. I think he's either in the, he might be in the laborers union. I think he might have a tree business. He's like a blue collar guy from Strong Island and very humble. Seems like a very sincere, nice guy. You never hear any BS up from him outside of the ring. So anyway, incredible fight. Um, one last boxing one before we jump into some UFC action, because I know we both watched those fights and I know you have some thoughts on that, but there was a good young prospect on one of those boxing undercards, Joey Spencer, uh, 11 and 0 prospect was in there, uh, the opposite of tough against a guy named Sean West, but he beat the crap out of him. Uh, did you get a chance to watch that kid? And if so, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I did. Listen, I'll start with this. The story right now, again, I look at it from this perspective, different. It's not about what Spence is and isn't right now. He's, he's a prospect. He's a kid. But it's about what they want us to believe and what they're, what they're trying to do in that case. It, I get it. Spence is the, he's the network, the promoters. He's the house guy. And they have an investment in them. This is the way the business works. But here's, here's the thing about this fight. Don't tell me I'm watching the next great fighter. And, and you know what pisses me off? I got to go down this road. But, and I'm not looking to knock this kid, not at all. But we do take pride in telling what we believe is the truth. It's still our opinion, but it's based on it's based on documented things, facts. It's based on experience, a lot of experience. And it's based on just wanting to be honest. And don't tell me I'm watching the next great fight. I'm, I'm again, I don't want to knock the kid, but 
don't you look to con me either, okay? I mean, I know everyone in the business gets handpicked guys at this junction in their career. Everybody. Everyone. That's part of the business. And he got a handpicked guy. Uh, a guy that, you know, game guy, but a guy that moonlights as a boxer and he also does MMA. Truth is the truth. Yep. So you got a handpicked guy. And that handpicked guy early on was catching him. And again, Teddy, you know, nobody's perfect. I know, I know, I know, I know. But if you're going to go out of your way to bellow from the rooftops that this guy is going to be <laughs> special, special. When you say special, you're starting, to, you're starting to make you think about those guys that have been special, you know, those, those kind of names. I mean, maybe because of the style you're talking about, Fernando Vargas or Trinidad. Or, or heaven forbid, you get into a Ray Leonard or a Whitaker. But you're, you're talking about that's what you're, that is what you're implying. Yeah. And you don't, well, guess what? Those guys didn't get hit with those punches with this kind of guy at any point in their career, even early on when they were being brought up. They, matter of fact, and first I'll say what he got, he had trouble dealing with distance, uh, navigating, understanding the range of being too close and, too, and just out of range. He doesn't get it yet. And hopefully he will. Someone will teach it to him. But he was having trouble with that. With a good fighter, you, you might not get a chance to correct it that night. You might have to go back to the gym <laughs> and start <laughs> correcting it when you get back to the gym after you get beat up that night. So that... His defense is not there. The, the, the policy of his defense is not there. I, okay, I get it. He's not perfect. Then don't talk like you should be perfect. Don't do that. Don't con me because I know what I'm watching. And it's not radio. I see it, and I know what I'm seeing. And I know the special ones, the special fighters, they didn't have to fight the hand-picked guys at, this, at 11 and 0. And I know they were special. And they're different. I get it. They were Olympic gold medalists, all that stuff. People say, Teddy, but you're being too harsh. No, I'm not being too harsh. I know the separation. I do. But you're implying that he's in that league. So if you're implying he's in that league, then I'm going to go there. I'm going to say Sugar Ray Leonard was already fighting good, good solid fighters at 11 fights because he was that special and beating them, eating them up like raw pieces of meat. So don't, he, was, he wasn't getting caught with those kind of punches. Pernell Whitaker, all those guys at that level. Even Loma, even Loma fought a, a, a game Orlando Salido for a legitimate world title in his second pro fight. I'm, that's what I'm saying, Ken. Thank you, Ken. That's what I'm saying. And, and I'll say another guy who's in the news. We'll talk about him later. Uh, poor guy. He's got some problems. But even De La Hoya. You know, this, this is a guy who's a damn good fighter. And when he was coming up, when he was coming up, he was a gold medalist in the Olympics. 
he was fighting good fighters early on. He wasn't fighting. They didn't have to handpick guys for De La Hoya early on. He was, he was fighting really good fighters because they were that class of experience and talent. And, and again, I'm not trying to be an animal and be this harsh with these kids, but don't bring me there. You guys brought me. They brought me. I get it. That it's that guy, and they want to build him up. But I didn't want to be that. But you're making me be that. It's kind of like, and I want Rob to get this up. My man, Rob. He, you know, he he loves when I put him to the to the task because he's always <laughs> up to it. No, he does, yep. Ken. Because I know, because I know. Great performers want challenges because that's that's what they're there to do. To, to meet the challenge and perform. I, I want to clip up for The Godfather. It was uh, from The Godfather 1, great movie, where Michael Corleone is talking to that, that, uh, to that, uh, that guy, the hell's his name, um, Carlo. And he's talking to Carlo in the, after the uh, christening. And it's got that great scene. And he's talking to Carlo, his, his brother-in-law, and he's saying, don't lie to me. Just don't lie to me. Just admit that they came to you and they offered you something. But don't lie to me, because when you lie to me, it insults my intelligence and it makes me angry. <laughs> it makes me you don't want to make Michael Corleone angry it no. makes me angry only don't tell me you're innocent because it insults my intelligence it makes me very angry don't lie to me that's all and that's what I'm saying when I listen to these guys they're, they're good they know what they're doing and and, and matter of fact uh the the not the analysts so he's not part of it but the um the the play by play the blow by blow is one of the best there is in any sport in this business he he has grown to that my former partner Brian Kenny I mean he's grown yeah. to that he's grown to be one of the best if not the top so but when these guys when just don't don't overdo it. Don't, because like Michael Corleone said, don't lie to me because it makes me then say things that I don't want to say. <laughs> like maybe the best thing about the kid was his tan. <laughs> okay, I don't want to say that. Ken, did you say that? Ken, did you, I, did I say that? I said it, I said it. I, listen, I, I didn't want to, but I'm saying, but then don't do that to me. Don't do that. See, I look at my us as consumer advocates. I do. I really do. That uh, we're protecting the audience. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really do, Ken. That I don't think there's any other in the business, to be quite honest. And I'm not saying we're perfect, but we, we're trying to tell the consumer. Because without the consumer, you got nothing. That's right. We're trying to tell the consumer... The, something that someone else ain't telling them. We're trying to warn them. We're trying to, we're trying to let them know what's really going on. Sometimes they're smart. They know it most of the time. But sometimes you can get uh, 
the lines could get blurry. You could get fooled a little bit. You could get checked a little bit, you know, <laughs> because really, you're listening to these guys just like politics. We don't go into that here. But on either side of it, on either side of it, there's people that, because it's coming from an authoritative voice of politicians, it, it must be right. Really? Really? So just because it's coming from a guy behind the mic, does it mean it's right? No. Does it mean that it's honest? You hope it is, but is it always? No. Does it mean it's not compromised or influenced by his boss or the position he has? You hope it's not. But we're talking about human beings. Let's even be more honest. That's why I ain't commentating. <laughs> Let's even be more honest. Yeah. Because, because the, the truth, uh, you know, is not something that sometimes is always wanted uh, in great doses. And, and, and a lot of these promoters that have influence over the networks will say, I don't want, if it's a bad fight or whatever, I don't want that being said because, I, you know, uh, it would chase my customers away. That's where I think you're wrong. You're not giving your customers enough credit. You think they're morons, they're sheep. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they can be sheep a little bit. We all, sometimes. But on the whole, they're not morons. On the whole, they're not. You don't give them enough credit. I remember when I was doing Friday Night Fights for 18 years, we had some bad fights. And I, I said <laughs> they were bad. And I told people ahead of time, not everyone liked it. But you know who liked it? The fans at the end. It didn't chase them. You know what it did? It kept them there for 18 years through all yep. the bad weather. It kept them there. Because I told them when they should bring an umbrella. And they still came. <laughs> and they watched the fights in the rain with me. Because yep. they appreciated the truth. There was a trust built. And it, it was worth something. Because then when I told them it was a good fight and they never heard of the guy, they said, we're going to be there, buddy. Because Teddy said it's a good fight. So it worked. Yeah. It worked. It worked. It didn't chase people away. These promoters don't give the fans enough credit. They really don't. But again, the kid might turn out to be a really good, solid fighter. Maybe he will. But he's not there yet. And, you know, this is not a kid who had an extraordinary amateur where, like a Lomachenko, where... You could be saying such things at this point about him when he's fighting to handpick guys. It's not fair. It's not fair to him. It's not right. It's not honest. Lomachenko won two gold medals. Sugar Ray Leonard was a gold medalist from the from 7016 that was the greatest Olympic team in my estimation of all time. And he beat one of the greatest fighters in the world to win the gold, the Cuban. So <laughs> you could say that about them after 11 fights. Because they were fighting good fighters, 10-round fighters, already! But you can't <laughs> say that. Not now, about a kid like this. Not now. You know? Yep. And again, I'm, 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 I'm sorry if it upsets them, but it's not about them. It's about the people that said it and, and got me to, to say these things. You know? That's all. And, and listen, if he becomes a really good fighter... God bless him. I hope he does, and maybe he can, maybe he can um, also, 
You can also get a uh, a sponsorship with somebody. You know, you don't get too many commercials, too many opportunities to get advertising sponsorships in boxing. But if he does develop, maybe he can get one with uh, Copper Tone. <laughs> he did have a beautiful tan. Hey, um, to your point about the UFC and boxing, you know, this is not th the fact that ESPN had um, UFC on the network and boxing on the app. It's not the first time we've seen incidents no. like this. We saw uh, Canelo and uh, Kovalev in one of the like one of the. But more it does mean they're recognizing they're recognizing where the power has shifted. Yep. And, uh, you know, they did the same thing with Canelo Kovalev, making them wait in their locker room until the UFC's event was over to let them walk to the ring. But um, <laughs> and then in a further insult uh, to injury, uh, De La Hoya announces his uh, desire to come back to boxing and Dana White comes out and just destroys him with one comment by saying that, um, well, cocaine is a very expensive habit and, uh, you know, you need a lot of money to maintain that, implying I'm assuming that, um, you know, Oscar has a drug, drug issues. But I just feel like every time boxing and the UFC are in the same competition, it's the UFC and Dana White coming out on top, even if when it's snide comments. But um, I know you watched the event uh, on Saturday night and the main event was... Uh, incredibly entertaining another strong island blue collar guy frankie edgar beats pedro munez in a five-round war third um third weight class for um frankie edgar and the only fighter in ufc history to win fight of the night in three different weight classes and in ufc the weight classes are significant those they move in bigger increments than in boxing uh what'd you think there and uh what were your thoughts on uh, edgar's performance First of all, you set it up very accurately, very well. They deliver. There's a reason for it. It starts with Dana White. You know, I mean, to use an analogy, I mean, Dana White is the ruler of his kingdom. He says who's going to fight who, and he, he, he wants to sport the business, the product, to always be solid, to come first. Before anything else, he makes no qualms about it. No qualms. It's not about a fighter favor. It's about the sport is going to be healthy. The brand is going to be healthy. And he's got the ability because he's the emperor. He's the guy that runs the show. You know, he's able to dictate that. And under his watch, there's one priority, put competitive fights on. And they're all good, they're all tough guys, but put them in with other good guys, qualified guys. Boxing doesn't always do that. When they do it, everyone comes to watch, it's great. It's great, it's great. If they're not 10 years too old past their prime, or five years or too old past their prime like Mayweather and Pacquiao, but that's another story. But it's great. And both sides, sports have great warriors. It's just that Dana White controls his business better. He has the ability to do that. And that's why they've replaced boxing as the most watched combat sport on the whole, in a, you know, as far as just regular, where people, because they know what they're going to get. They're, he's, he's like, Dana White's like the guy that he owns a accommodation, a place, like a 
maybe a hotel, let's say. And but he only owns one. These other guys, they own several. They own a bunch of different hotels. Some of them are really nice hotels too, with penthouses, really nice. But some of them are dives, flea bag hotels. So <laughs> some of them are, are lower end hotels. They're not as nice. Dana White owns the Four Seasons. Yep. Every time you go, you're going to get a good room. That's right. So I'm not going to name names, but some of these other landlords, and that's what they are. They're landlords. See, Dana White's not considered a landlord. I own this joint. <laughs> I own this freaking joint called the UFC, and this is what you're going to get, Four Seasons. I, that's it. That's it, baby. And these other guys are landlords. They're renting joints out. They are. If you really look, my analogies, they're not going to like it. But it's right on. They're renting joints out. They're renting places over here. Over, you know, uh, sometimes they're, they're real not such nice places. You might get a few extra cockroaches. You know, and, and, <laughs> and, and, you got, and then you got the nice ones. But they reserve the nice ones only for special clients, for special days. And sometimes they give you the ones that aren't so freaking nice, Ken. You know what I mean? Don't open your bag. Keep and zip it. You know, your wife will tell you, do not come and, did you open your bag and leave it? Because the, <laughs> the roaches, the critters, they can get in there, you can take them home with you. Really, don't be careful of that, Ken. It's important. Your wife should kick you right out. She'll kick you right out if you do that. I know she loves you, but, but she's not going to tolerate that. And so... That's what it is. So once again, you had that kind of match. So I'll break the fight down uh, with Munoz and Edgar. It was a great... You ever watch these guys in a park that play speed chess with the timer? They got to yep. go quick. Speed chess. It's great. Competitive. Always going fast, fast, fast. It's a big game in the prison. Well, this is... You only had a certain amount of time. Let's go. It works. This is... Uh, this is speed chess with a little danger, baby. Yep. <laughs> with a little... Speaking about prison. You know what I mean? Instead of hitting be the a, timer, you get punched in the mouth. You better be alert. You better be ready. You better be ready. You know, because at any moment, boom, something could come. So this is speed chess. And, and these guys, this is where I, I try to make sure they get the credit. At first, when the sport came around and they saw in your elbows and, you know, everything else, people, maybe myself a little bit included, again, full disclosure here, so people can't attack us from that end. Oh, yeah, Teddy, you want to tell the truth. You know, I, sometimes I would say it was barbaric. And it still has its elements. Boxing does too. But these guys are beyond just cavemen. These guys are tough, vicious, in a vicious, tough sport. But again, the separation is the smart, the guys that are a little smarter. These guys are smart. This, this kid, this kid, um, uh, Munoz, Munoz, he 
he's a missile looking, seeking missile, looking to come forward. Does a lot of striking. But he's a missile with a computer chip. <laughs> he, he don't just walk in and just let you hit him. He knows when to walk in, when to walk out. That's what I appreciate. That's what I saw. I saw Edgar probably more versatile, a guy who could, who could box. He did box. He recognized what he had in front of him. He recognized in Munoz that Munoz might have had the edge as far as power, striking, so he had to keep more balance. You know, you know what it reminded me of in boxing, in, uh, boxing terms? It reminded me of Pernell Whitaker with Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., two great fighters. Chavez trying to get in, Whitaker keeping them all balanced. It reminded me of that. Really did. Really did. Where Edgar was using his legs, using his wheels. He knew he had to, to try to keep the striker, Moonholes, from being set. So he's boxing. He did it all night. And he's boxing. He's looking for spots to counter, to, to pot shot, keeping them all balanced, moving around. And Munoz, he had to do something. And in boxing, you go to the body, take the air out of the tires with a guy that's moving a lot. In UFC, well, it's, you kick and you, you knock the legs right off the axle. <laughs> you, 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 don't, <laughs> you don't just take air. You don't just take air. You knock the freaking wheels off the axle, Ken. Right off the axle. And and so what does he do? He starts doing these these front kicks, you know, to egg his legs to slow yeah. down a little bit. And so he's doing that. And then he's also noticing that egg is a little faster, throwing more combinations, using his legs, you know, boxing. And he realizes that he's got to take speed out of the equation. He can't just walk in and get machine gun. So mm -hmm. he controls range. He steps out a little bit. He's starting to control range. So he controls where the guy can use his speed and where he can't use it, where the speed is not an asset, where it's not overwhelming, where it's not dominant, where he leaves the guy shadow boxing by stepping out. Oh, you want a shadow box? Go ahead. I'll step out. I wouldn't walk into it. I'll why? Yeah. Hey, that's pretty good. I like it. And <laughs> timing negates speed. Timing can beat speed. So now he doesn't match the speed. Boom! Right hands. Nice straight shots. He starts timing Edgar, using timing to take away his speed. So I'm seeing all of this and everything else in the, in the cage. Oh, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. And so I'm watching this back and forth. I'm watching the boxing keep on. I'm watching another guy trying to take the wheels away, knock the, knock the tires right off the axle. Uh, Bust the, the tie rod. <laughs> and I'm watching the chins. Each one of them timed each other with right hands coming in. And oh, great chins. You know, I'm watching all of this, admiring it. And it's a close fight. And back and forth with adjustments. And I probably have, I didn't write it down, but in my head, scoring and looking, I probably have Moonholes winning going into the fifth round. Probably have feel that he's ahead. And then 
definitely in my mind, the other guy's got to win the round. But anyway, and then Edgar, what does he do? He does what we want to talk about to everybody out there. You can't just be a bystander in your future. You have to be a participant. You, you have to take risk. And mm-hmm. with all that, you have to take risk. You, you can't just sit in the passenger's side and say, yeah, it's a nice trip. It's a nice drive, you know. You, you could go a little faster. No, you have to take the wheel. You have to decide to go faster. You have to make those choices. And I saw it. And I look for it. And I appreciate it and admire it. All of a sudden, both guys, both guys, but I see Edgar, who maybe had a little more desperation because I thought he was behind. All of a sudden, he starts taking more risk. Just still being smart, but instead of just moving and looking to pot shot, now he starts initiating, getting off first, initiating some of the attacks, not only taking what's given him, going out there and grabbing what's not given him. And I see him win the round because of that. I wish there were draws. I love the sport. I wish there were draws once in a while. I guess there, I don't know if there ever are, but yeah. I never see them. I never see them. Very, very rare. I, I, in cases like that, I wouldn't. I know that's part of the magnificence of the sport too, is that there's a winner, there's a loser. I get it. But once in a while, maybe just maybe could be a draw. That one was, was in that area, but, uh, you know, it was in that area. But at the end of the day, like I just broke it down, I appreciated every ounce of that fight. It was, it was like drinking one on a hot summer day, drinking a 16-ounce beverage, and you enjoy every ounce, every sip, every <laughs> drop. You know, uh, I enjoyed every drop of it. And uh, one thing that one thing that I love about uh, the UFC and what Dana White does is even the development program, the uh, Dana White Contender Series on Tuesday night. Like I look forward to that as much as I do any other f- combat sport event, boxing, anything, because he's got guys in there that it's literally 50 50 that your career continues in the UFC or 50-50 you're going home back to the regional circuit. And look, boxing has had um, fighting after dark on Showtime and that ESPN had like a developmental series in in anticipation of those bigger pay-per-view matches. But Dana just does it consistently. I mean, his his thinking outside of the box with the show, the tough, the, the ultimate fighter was what really launched the UFC into the next stratosphere in terms of popularity that that you uh, the ultimate fighter series one with Forrest Griffin and um, uh, uh, Bonner uh, I'm spacing on his first name but they they had like one of the most epic fights ever in the final of the uh, ultimate fighter and that's when things really started to take off but that was all Dana coming up with marketing ideas and how to get more viewers and putting that reality show on and boxing has tried it with the contender and Sylvester Stallone and but he's just doing everything a little bit better than everyone else. Ken, um, 100%. And there's a reason why he helped build the sport up to what it itself for the, the company. Four billion dollars to William Morris Endeavor. You know, I mean, you got to know what you're doing. You got to have a plan. 
And obviously he did. And uh, he got rewarded for that. The results. It was, by the way, it was Stefan Bonner and um, for, uh, Forrest, uh, not Forrest, Ver, um, now I'm spacing on the other guy's name. Anyway. Listen, he's, for all of that, he's used the tried and succeeded formula. Back the the most healthiest time in this sport was in the 30s, 40s, 50s when Gillette Calvacate of Sports it was on TV. You had fighters like Sugar Ray Robinson and Henry Armstrong and I mean, oh my God, oh my God. And Joe Lewis and yeah, you had fighters that had 300 fights, 120 knockouts. I mean, can you imagine? They were all fighting each other. It was the and the best fight in the best. It didn't matter if you won or lost. That's the great thing about the UFC. It's not a death sentence if you lose. You get another good fight because you've proven yourself. You're worth. You've you've paid your dues. You prove that you belong, and you'll be put in another fight, and you're winning. You're turning around. It's you're not. Like in the old days, we used to say if a cop did something wrong, he's going to be relegated to walking a post in Siberia. <laughs> no, <laughs> that doesn't. But they make you feel that way in boxing. Oh, you just got to pick guys. And it's not about good fights. It's about building a record. Build, all these networks are in bed with the promoters. Build a record. And the fans will come out. Because they don't know. As long as they see an O. They don't know. Just give them an O. I like that. That's a kind of a catchy <laughs> model, catchy phrase. And they, so they, they just manipulate, they navigate these fighters sometimes. And, but they don't do what they need to do to become better fighters. Dana White and the UFC give these guys what they need to be better fighters. They give them the chance to fight the best. And they don't hold it over their head like a guillotine that if you do take that risk, and you do fight the best, that you're going to get destroyed. You're going to get your head taken off for doing it. You're going to lose your career. No, you're not. You're going to become a better fighter, which is supposed to be the purpose and the goal. And you're going to be right there to fight top fights because you've proven that you belong with the top guys. And, that's the, and it's not that way in boxing. In boxing, again, it's not about giving the guys what they need to become better fighters. And, if, and during the time of doing that, giving the fans what they need to love the sport, to, to embrace the sport, to back the sport, to feel the sport's giving them something back for their loyalty. No, they, again, it's just, it's just you know, David Copperfield, smoke and mirrors, you know, uh, tell them it's a good fight, but uh, it's not. And, and, and just building up your guy, the house fighter, too much, too often, too often. But back in the 50s, back in the 30s, the 20s even, back in the 40s, that's why you had so many good fighters and why the sport was so vibrant. And that's why the closest thing to that in the modern era was the 80s and boxing. The 80s, and, and he's taken a page out of that book, Dana White. He's smart. Because the 80s, the reason why there was so much success was Yes, you had good fighters. Guess what? You got good fighters today in boxing, too. Yes, you had terrific, great fighters. You had Roberto Duran, Marvin Hagler, Pernell Whitaker, you know, Tommy Hearns, uh, Aaron Pryor. You know, you had all these great fighters. But here's the key. They were fighting each other. 
on network, mm-hmm. on free network TV where everyone could identify with them. Everyone could get to know them and follow them. And again, they were the best for fighting the best. That was the magic formula. That was it. And that's what Dana, for the most part, that's, that's why UFC is so successful. Go ahead, what were you going to say? Just to your point, Frankie Edgar lost three of his last four fights, and now he's in, like, literally, he won the fight of the night in the main event on a big show, and he's still right back in the mix. That once they get to that point, he's, he's you know, once a guy shows that he's willing to get in there and fight and has heart and has talent, it doesn't matter, win or lose in the UFC. I mean, the guys that are right on the bubble, maybe, yeah, it matters. But for the guys who are really good, which would basically be the top 10 in every division of boxing for the most part, a loss here, a loss there, no big deal. You'll be right back in there in three to six months. And, and you know what, with what you just said, there's a benefit. Sometimes you got to lose to win. You're yep. giving them what they need to find out what's there. Some of these kids never find out what's there until it's too late in boxing. And so they're on that stage that night, and they're not ready for it. You're letting these guys find out what's there at an early enough stage in their lives, in their careers, where they can do something about it, where they can continue to mature, continue to grow, continue to improve. You're giving them what they need to do that, to become whatever it is in their destiny that they can become. In boxing, you take their destiny away quite often by not giving them a chance early enough to get what they need to become the best they can become when that moment comes. And the moment always comes. I can't help but think about Dillian White now, like what this loss means for him. Even if he gets the rematch and beats Pavetkin, he's lost that number one mandatory spot. Where does he go from here? Does he have to fight five more times before one of those other big top three no, guys he's, will he's with shot? One, he's with one of the power guys with Hearn. And mm-hmm. if he if they can get Pavetkin back in there, it's going to cost them a couple um, shillings. Is that mm-hmm. what they call money in London? Shillings. Yeah, <laughs> shillings. It's going to cost a couple of shillings, Teddy. Um, <laughs> but if they can get him back in the ring and if he can kind of correct what we talked about and see what he needs to see, not just that it was just, you know, I <laughs> I didn't see that hole in the, in the, in the road. You know, yeah. oh, next time I see the hole in the road. Uh, yeah. You, you, yeah? You sure you will? <laughs> Are you sure? You better be sure you see the hole. You better understand where the hole came from. So, but listen, he's been a kid that's overcome a lot in his life. Um, That's one of the things I like about him. He's, and that's why I thought doing the interview with him, if you guys haven't heard it, it's still up. Go listen to it because he's got a great story. He's overcome a hell of a lot. And if anybody's going to come back from it, uh, he'll come back from it because of that, character because of the the things that he's been through in his life because of the the ability to overcome things that he's already shown the ability to do in his life so far there's a couple other things go ahead tell me what we're doing here sean porter and uh sebastian formella um basically a one-sided beat down a total mismatch the kid um they were given the announcers were given formella a lot of credit for essentially taking a beating but 
I mean, I know from talking to you and seeing the tweets that you put up, um, those kind of beatings sometimes can have a lasting effect. This was, uh, and Sean Porter's been in tough every time out for a long time, and I don't know if they felt he deserved the layup on this one, but that's what it looked like from a uh, fan's perspective. I mean, a very, very bad mismatch. Tell me what you saw. Christmas came early, baby. <laughs> Christmas came early uh, for Mr. Porter. Look, if you've been good, if you've been good during the year, Santa's good to you. Can you tell your kids that all the time? <laughs> and, and Porter's fought tough fights, and he's, you know, he's fought everybody, so he's been good. You know, you yep. can't begrudge it to him. But um, Fair. you know, he got a nice present. You know, he got his own little nice heavy bag wrapped in legs and arms. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, listen, you don't want the truth. Really, you don't want to tune into this station. We, we should put a cautionary up. You know how they put for the movies? You know, yep. this may contain uh, subject matter that could be offensive to you. That could be a little, <laughs> could be a little strong. Be warned. Be, be warned. Be warned. But um, no, I mean, l listen, it was like putting a goldfish in a tank with a piranha. You know, That's exactly and, right. I mean, really, if you did that in your house, you would be caught sadistic <laughs> and and your wife would put you out for a while. Really, my daughter, my daughter would never have that. She's an animal lover. She is not having any one sided affairs in this house. That's because you raise good kids. And um, <laughs> trying. Yeah, well, you are. But. That that would be called sadistic in boxing. You know what it's called? Being on the B side, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Being on the B side with against the A side. That's all. That's all. You know, collateral damage, baby. That's it. Tough, tough, tough luck. Tough luck. They. I don't mind. I get the business. That's up to his connections from Ellis people to figure it out and know what they're getting into. Hopefully they got paid right. That's up to them. Yep. It's not my responsibility. They got to be big boys and know the business they're in. Right? Obviously, what's really happening is the promoter, the network are giving him this gift, this Christmas gift, Porter, as a stay busy fight, get a payday, stay busy to get ready for a significant fight. Keep, keep, him, keep him happy, keep him busy. Let him get some workout. Let him get some rounds, right? I mean, that's you don't need Teddy Atlas really to tell you that. But again, we're the consumer advocates here, Ken. That's what we are. The FTC of boxing, the Federal Trade Commission, looking for false advertising. Don't do false ad. Don't go and tell us when that's what's happening. I get no. I get it. It's part of the history of the sport. And Formello was 22-0, but no fights outside of Germany. He might have had one in Sweden, but never been to the U.S., never been outside of Germany, 22-0, only 10 knockouts. Listen, this fight was lost when he signed the contract. So don't, <laughs> so please, Ken, that's my problem. Again, don't be selling, don't be selling a guy, please, that as it's going on and we're seeing this, you know, one-sided beatdown. Don't, please, don't be selling us that he's still got a chance or, or not even that. Don't be selling us that you're giving him credit that, hey, he had a 
Well, he's, he's still hanging in there. He's taken a beating. I mean, he's got a, like, oh, well, you know, look, he's, look, he's got a moment where he threw something back. Really? Oh, he, <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, come on. That's, I mean, that's insulting after a while. That's a little ridiculous. I mean, don't be, he's getting the crap beat out of him. That's, he's having moments, moments, moments. Ken, that's like saying that Captain Ahab was having moments with Moby Dick. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I can't believe I just put a Moby Dick reference into this. But that, that's like saying, that's saying that that toothpick of a spear. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that toothpick of a spear that Captain Ahab was using to poke Moby Dick was, was, ha- was, having, mo- was having an effect on Moby Dick. Moby Dick was going to eat him <laughs> and take him to the bottom of the ocean. That's it. Let me ask you this. If you were in Formella's corner and were watching that at any point, would you have stopped that? I wouldn't have approved the fight, maybe. I wouldn't have approved. It's the kind of fight that this game kid, and I want to give more the credit in the world. Game as game can be. Game as game can be. But he, he could get ruined by this fight. Some people say, well, you might learn from it. Eh, I don't know. But sometimes you learn from a loss and you learn from a step up. Yeah. But he took such a beating. And it told him, if anything, more definitively than ever, that the separation from here to there, from where you are to where you want to go, is the Grand Canyon. That's what he was told. It's not, it's not a city block. It's not a, you know, it's, it's not a, you know. <laughs> a few more weeks of training. Yeah, it's, not, it's the Grand Canyon. It's, it's not just, you know, a pothole. Uh, when I was watching it, I didn't even think he would be qualified. Honestly, I'm not trying to be t- too critical of the guy, but I didn't even think he was qualified to be Porter's sparring partner. He was getting mauled. You want to know the truth? It's funny you said that. If he was his farm partner for a significant fight, you might send him home. And again, I don't want to be in this position knocking a kid, but, but I'm in a business. I'm, I'm telling you the truth from the business. I might send him home only because the workouts are too easy. You're not getting enough out of it. He's too, you're going to take things for granted because the guy you're fighting is not going to be that easy to hit. So yeah. I might send him home. I might keep him on the back end where I got the tough work with the guys that are harder to hit, that you have to be ready for what you have to be and develop what you have to develop. Have that on the front end and maybe on days where I want him just to feel good or maybe at the end of the work, like the eighth, ninth round, on days we're going a lot of rounds, I'll put him in. I'll yeah. Put him in. But really, that's the truth. Again, why you guys make me have to be this, this bad guy that I have to say these things that... People are going to say, oh, that's hurtful. Listen, it's a hurtful business. <laughs> All right? It's a hurtful business. And I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm being realistic. I'm being honest. Before you get hurt. Okay? How about that? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> when you guys going to point out all these things. But, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Porter, you know, 
did whatever he wanted, you know, got careless every once in a while. But I mean, he, he but but then again, Porter's not a perfect guy. Nobody is. Well, some guys are close to it, but he probably but, should have got the kid out of there. I mean, yeah, he's maybe bludgeoning. But him. give him credit. And and listen, maybe he got to a point where he, he wasn't putting that pressure on himself to get him out. He was just, it was just, you know, taking what was given him and pushing it in spots. And um and then using it for practice. I hate to talk that way, but maybe that was maybe that was part of it. You know, became you know became part of it. Um, but the bottom line was on that particular night, we me and Cuts used to joke. Cuts used to say, "You see the guy that's fighting right now, the opponent that he's got. He's got an opponent tonight that you don't." You could be he could be anything he wants to be. If he wants to be Ali, he could be Ali. If he wants to be Sugar Ray Robinson, he could be Sugar Ray Robinson. If he wants to be uh, you know, Jake LaMotta, <laughs> he wants to be Joe Frazier, he he could be whatever he wants to be tonight. And, you know, if if if, if Porter wanted to like reinvent himself and try something out, you know, the turtle defense, Archie Moore, um, you know. Uh, you know, the, the peekaboo, uh, you know, Tyson, Floyd Patch, whatever. But if he wanted to try some, something new, he kind of could have done that, you know. To, and again, I'm not trying to disrespect the kid. He got in the ring and he gave all his heart in the world. Not everyone could do that. Uh, give him all the credit in the world. But, um, but, but, that's, but don't tell me while I'm watching it that, I'm watching a guy with a chance or or a guy that uh, had moments, please. Yeah. As though that's supposed to keep me there for the rest of the night. Really? You know? <laughs> I mean, just come on. I mean, that, that's that's going to keep me there. Like, I, uh, whatever. But... <laughs> Well, we'll have to make sure uh, we keep my Michael Bisbing uh, keeps you updated on uh, which fights to be tuning into. I saw him tweeting at you during the UFC and uh, boxing events. Looks like he was watching them all as well. Yeah, those guys know the sport. They they're committed to the sport. Bisbing and all of them. They they they're really committed and dedicated to to their sport and. Uh, I joked around sending a tweet because because I said that I was looking I was looking for good fights and having trouble finding them on boxing and <laughs> bless his heart he he <laughs> he he uh, found me lost in the woods and he <laughs> you know he got me out of the woods he he text, he tweeted Teddy you just missed one. You just missed him. <laughs> and so I immediately called my son up, who works for the Oakland Raiders, well, the Las Vegas Raiders now. He's out in Vegas, and he watches everything. And um, I said, Bud, he's my man, my man, Teddy. And my daughter, of course, who helps me set this up and do everything. But in this case, I called him up. It's three hours earlier in Vegas, so it's not like I was waking him up. And I said, hey, hmm. buddy, uh, I just I just got a call on a hotline from Bisping <laughs> that, that, I, that I missed something good. Can you get it to me? On it. 
on it. <laughs> so this this thing can. If you guys tell Rob too, if you guys haven't heard about it, this internet thing, it's marvelous. Yeah. It's extraordinary. <laughs> I, I, it's extra My kids are talking about it. You heard about it? It's My kids are on it all the time. Ken, it's extraordinary. <laughs> you can find anything. And so I told him, I said, listen, I, got, I, I need this. I got I to gotta see it. And boom, next thing you know, I'm not too late. Because of Michael. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thanks to Michael Bisping. I'm not too late. I'm, I'm there, I'm watching it up on my phone, and um, I'm able to talk about it and hopefully break it down in a way that's proper. I know the last thing you wanted to touch on was some of this war going on uh, and, and this announcement, another one of these announcements yeah. that somebody's coming back. Oscar's coming back. I, 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 it seems pretty ill-advised, but... Um... <laughs> I think Dana's ready to uh, maybe we can match him up with uh, Dana White. <laughs> hey, listen, Dana has total disdain for him. Yeah, Dana. What was that quote Dana gave when they asked him? Uh, you said it earlier. I've, uh, they yeah, asked they him. Said, about Cocaine is expensive. Got to got to make money. One, I'm a good friend of yours, Oscar De La Hoya, has announced he's coming out of retirement to box again. I just wondered if you had any. Cocaine isn't cheap. It's expensive. Got to make money. Hey, listen, some people are going to say it's mean. It's mean-spirited. We're in a tough business that can be mean. Uh, Dana didn't start this fight. Oscar started it from, from the way I understand it. That, not that I'm that interested in it. But um, you start a fight, you better be ready for what comes back at you. And Oscar was doing some promoting with Golden Boy of some of the MMA fighters, I believe, a while yeah, back. he put in. Uh, he put a couple very old, beat up, uh, shop worn fighters in there. Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. Chuck much more so than uh, Tito, and uh, sure enough, Chuck got knocked out and beat up pretty good. You and, know, and Dana is friends with those guys. Friends with Chuck and was not happy that Oscar provided him a venue to fight again. I think you're right, but I think it was also something Oscar said because right now we're talking about words. Oscar said yeah. that basically made an excuse for doing it or whatever reason for doing just do what you want to do you do what you want to do but instead he said you know i'm doing this uh dana white doesn't pay these guys enough and you know what he he had no reason to be saying that he should have kept his mouth shut that's my feeling i'm not on either side but i'm on the side of what i believe is right and from what i understand from that hey you want to come into the business Go do what you want to do. It's America. It's the greatest country in the world. You got an opportunity to do what you want. And you've done great. And you have done great. Um, but don't, don't go and make an excuse for it. Don't go and a guy who's in the business, who's, done, who's built the business up, who, who sold, uh, you know, his people sold the business for $4 billion. Don't go and say that, He's doing something wrong. He's not paying guys enough. Just go and promote. Go and do what you want to do. That's all. You don't have to open your mouth. He opened his mouth, and guess what? Uh, Dana's been opening his mouth since he's done that. Listen, at least Tyson coming back was smart enough to come back with another shot fighter, also in his 50s, um, who 
who is well, 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 well beyond his prime. So say what you want. It's a money grab. It's this, it's that. But Tyson's smart enough to do that. But Oscar now, oh, my God. He's talking about coming back with the top guys. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 I think I just said it by that's, that's, that. That's enough. I mean, that's dangerous. And that would not be suggested by me to be doing that. I mean, you haven't fought for 12 years. You're 47 years old. Uh, you got beat up in your last fight by Pacquiao. You, you kind of, I guess you submitted in the fight, right? You, you gave up in the fight. You, you were taking a beating uh, around the eighth round, whatever it was. My memory serves me. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. But, you know, you... That, that's, that's dangerous. I mean, like, the first question I... <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to be a wise guy, but sometimes this stuff, you can't help it. <laughs> you know what? You can't make this stuff up, and you just have to deal with it for what it is. So you, you can't help it but say, Oscar, you okay? <laughs> like, like you want to <laughs> – I mean, at first, I want to come back and I want to fight, I think, in the welterweight division, I think, and probably the best division in boxing. It's the welters, the lightweights, the light heavyweights. Tremendous talent there right now close to what was there in the 80s when you had great talent. And, and that guy tells you, I'm 47. I've probably had some personal issues with drugs and stuff. Pretty public. I'm not saying anything that's not out there. Uh, you've had some issues. God bless them. I hope you get over them and all. Um, but you're gonna, this, you, you think this is a good decision? Um, uh, you know, the first thing, again, when you hear it, uh, I got, again, I'm not trying to be a wise guy. It's it's kind of like this stuff's being handed to me. It's kind of like, you know what I mean? What are you supposed to do? It's, it's you, you got to, what else can I say? Except if he says that, you got to say, you okay? <laughs> you okay, Oscar? Like, like, obviously, he's got stuff going on. He says, he's, everyone has problems. Everyone's got things in their life, but you don't always know about it because they're not public figures. We know a little bit more, whether we should or not, about Oscar because he's a public figure and that he's got some issues. And we hope he, as decent people, you hope he gets through it. Um, he's got some demons. He's got some stuff going on. But if you're going to use this to get through it, which he's basically saying, he, he's being honest without knowing it. He's saying, you know, I love boxing. It makes me feel better. I'm not so sure at 47 getting hit with left hooks and right uppercuts by guys like Spence and, and, and uh, Crawford and, you know, um, and those kind of guys. Um, I, I don't know that that uh, Porter, all of them, I don't know that's going to make you feel better. I don't, I'm not so sure. Um, you know, I understand that in your mind it's therapy maybe. I think that's fair. Uh, looking at his track record, looking at what we're dealing with. But uh, go on a couch and talk to somebody. <laughs> it's a lot safer than getting in a freaking ring at this point in your life. And, and, and I'm not trying to be a psychologist, but being a trainer in this business for my whole life, you kind of automatically are. You, you, if, you, if you're any good at what you do in this business, um, and getting results. You kind of are a psychologist. And I don't know what his thing is, but 
obviously there are certain issues and Oscar Oscar was a guy that was a gold medalist. That's a hell of an accomplishment. Let's not get away from the positive. He he was a gold medalist. He was a several weight class world champion, undefeated. He became a matinee, matinee idol to girls. He crossed over in the sport where he brought fans that normally don't get brought to the sport. Girls, teeny boppers, where they were like, they were screaming like they were like at a Dustin Bieber concert. You know, they were like, <laughs> oh, oh. And you don't see that. He did that. He really did yep. that. And he had that kind of attraction, that allure, that he, that girls were coming up. People were coming to watch him. And so he had all that working for him, Ken. And then he was a bit of a pioneer, too, where... See, I believe in giving credit, breaking it down, good, bad, ugly, all of it. And he was a bit of a pioneer where he was making real good money. He was fine. But he realized that he didn't need a promoter. He was the star. He didn't need a guy building him up to get him to a network. The network wanted him. He, he didn't need a promoter taking most of his money. So he left Aram, he left Top Rank, and he created his own promotional with Richard Schaefer, a guy that he met. He, he created his own promotional company and made all the money, all the money, yep. and he continues with that. And so there's a guy who's really done a lot in the sport. See, when I, we started with this, a lot of people out there that don't like him, do like him, they probably didn't expect me to go down this road. But it's a road that I that's there to go down. I think it's fair. He's done a lot. He's done a lot. But now he doesn't have a good relationship with Canelo. I don't think he's got a good relationship with the other star, Ryan Garcia, who could be the star. You know, he's on the, he's, yep. he, he's right on the cusp of becoming that star. The next Canelo, maybe. Good looking kid. He can fight. You know, he's getting ready to fight for, you know, the full world title. Um, and and he, you know, his moment, his day is coming. Uh, he's, he, like I said, he's a good-looking kid. He crosses over to the appeal that we talked about with De La Hoya. Uh, he's got a bunch of followers on social media. He's very savvy. He's very smart. Um, you know, he'll get his moment. He'll get his chance to go to that next point uh, the way De La Hoya did it. But De La Hoya's... You know, he's had some problems, some issues with his company, with these fighters, uh, public knowledge of some drug use. Again, you hope that he gets it together. If I put my psychology hat on, he's, he's always been the kind of kid that we all have insecurities, all of us, but they don't all get shown the way that they get brought out when you get in the ring for a living. They come to the surface a lot harder a lot faster, and they stay. They sometimes don't go back in the hole. And I think he's trying to put them back in the hole. And this is the yeah. only way he knows how to do it. And I think he's the kind of kid he wants to be liked. I think he really, that, that he wants to be liked. There's some people, you know, me, I got past that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got past that, Ken. 
You know, no, I think but, you're right. But, I don't think he likes not being the star of the show. He's in the ring all the time. I think that he he relishes that role and 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 craves that um, public adulation. I would say, and again, it's going to come off from being a wise guy, but I just said all the nice things, all the proper things, things that I should say. That was, but I'm, it's dangerous what he's looking to do now, and you know, he wants someone to be his friend. Somebody close to him, go get him a dog. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm saying, yeah. get, get it. It's a lot safer. It was sit, yep. sit down with the dog, let the dog lick you, go for a walk. I'm just saying, it's a lot safer than being in there with these young marauders um, that that can punch and that gonna come after you. Uh, it yep. wasn't good 12 years ago for you. It ain't gonna get better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it ain't gonna get better. Yep. Nope. Not uh. That doesn't sound like a um the, the the therapy that is required here. Well, listen, Teddy, that was a good. That was a long one. We covered a lot of info. Is there anything that uh that we missed? No, just um that once again, you look younger and younger and better and better every time i see you i don't know what oh, to, music to my ears i don't know what the trick I was... is i don't know where that fountain <laughs> of youth uh you found it somewhere um as as by the way i was talking about earlier we were talking about making the analogy of dana white being a guy that owns buildings you know <laughs> is that one of your buildings behind you i just figured oh, i, I wish that uh, which, I which what I should have said was which one of your buildings is that? <laughs> I think that that's a building in um, in um, Madison Square Park area. One of them in the Brooklyn Bridge is the other one, I think. Yeah, that but looks certainly like not mine. That looks like the appreciate Brooklyn them. Bridge. Yeah, it looks like it. Been great well, chatting. I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing this. I know we. Uh, I know I can only imagine how many uh, pages of notes you took watching all those fights on Saturday. But it yeah, was I'm going to show you. You brought it up. Watch, watch, real quick. It's a great way to go off. Let let the people know that this work put into this. Yeah, let them know. <laughs> let let them know. I mean, we take it serious. <laughs> we we take it serious what we do here. Thirty pages. <laughs> Not surprised. Thirty well, pages. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, the fans appreciate all the uh, knowledge that you're willing to share with everyone every week. I know I certainly do. Rob does, and um, we appreciate the fans who tune in. Please subscribe, leave some comments, leave a review on iTunes. It's a massive help, and uh, I look forward to talking to you next week. Same here, Ken. All right, guys, take care. 